1: Hi everyone and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist with me your host Chloe Timms. This week I'm talking to Crystal Zara Appiah about her contemporary novel Rootless. Crystal is a British Ghanaian writer, editor and screenwriter based in London. She has a degree in literature and creative writing from the University of Kent in 2020, she was one of 40 writers selected for the London Library's Emerging Writers Program. In this episode, we discuss writing to break stigmas about black women's mental health, how Rootless started life as a NaNoWriMo novel, and how it felt to lose 60,000 words. But before that, here's Crystal with an excerpt from Rootless.
2: Sam comes to, with his face buried in the musty sofa, head hidden beneath a cushion, his first thought of Effie. Five days have passed since he last saw his wife. He thinks back to the last time he saw her, straight-backed at the dining table, one knee pulled up under her chin, her gaze fixed on the middle distance. He'd watched long ribbons of steam curl up from her mug and peter out into nothing. Her face was dewy with heat, her twist pulled back by a satin headscarf. Sam had paused, palming a warm cup of coffee, and just stood there, looking at her. A long, drawn-out moment had passed before she lifted the mug to her lips and drank. The conversation that followed was normal. Still, over the last four days, Sam's replayed it in his mind and sifted through her words for hidden meanings. He remembers chatting about work, Phoebe, deciding who'd take Liv to the childminder's house. He'd made a comment about the tea she'd been drinking, more of a non-comment, a dumb question really. He'd expected her to nod and agree. Instead, she'd said nothing, only stared at him like she didn't recognise him, like it was the furthest thing from her mind. So Sam had let it go, regretted saying anything at all. Six hours later, she was gone. Sam flops over onto his back, feels heaviness in his sand-filled head. Through the thin curtains, he sees the sky is a watered-down navy. His phone is already in his hand. Blue-white light skewers the darkness. He squints at the screen, scrolls past the endless stream of notifications, emails, WhatsApp messages, hoping for something from her. Over the last five days, he's listened to the voicemail 37 times, memorised it, and wallowed in it. He checks flight prices hourly, logs into their joint bank account and does the mental gymnastics. Even if he borrows money, he has both the plane ticket and expedited visa to consider, so it'll be tight. Sam sighs and wipes the trail of dried saliva from his cheek. He tells himself it'll be fine. Any moment now, she'll walk in.
1: Hi Crystal, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you on with me today to discuss your debut novel, Rootless.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: So can you start by telling us what Rootless is about?
2: Sure. Um, at its core, Rootless is a love story about two people who want medically different things. So um, Sam is committed to having a family, he's always wanted to be a parent and that is FA's worst nightmare. And um, despite the fact they love each other, it's just something that's going to push them to breaking point.
1: Mm, and that's a kind of heartbreaking element to their love story, because as a reader, we're really rooting for them to, pardon the pun, rooting for them to uh, to really get there and to have that love story. And particularly because we see them throughout their lives from kind of teenagers onwards. And uh, it's it's heartbreaking because we know really that they, should be together, but their their differences are are giving them kind of problems. Yeah. I was wondering, Christoph, if you could tell us a little bit about where that first spark came from, that inspiration.
2: Yeah, um, a few places. Um, so I think even before I started writing, I just had this image of I knew it was going to be about a couple's image of this couple together, and very first image I had of the book, um, after. Um, I guess kind of coming up with the initial idea was the scene where Epe is at the train station and it's kind of hysterical um, and there was something about like character I really wanted to know and it was it changed shape a few times but um, yeah originally it was about about them and it was about um yeah them struggling them figuring life out, choosing to be together when um when very much in is part particularly she's living a life she hadn't imagined and hadn't wanted for herself and Yeah, I guess it kind of came about both of them, their story in that. Um, But also I went on a family holiday to Ghana in, um, I think it was 2016, 2017. And I hadn't been since I was a child. Um, And as soon as I got there and loved it, I really wanted to kind of celebrate it for writing. Um, So I guess at that point, this novel became more about moving between places and wide identity issues and just kind of the quirks and um, just incredible aspects of Ghanaian culture.
1: Mm. Tell us a little bit then about FA's relationship with Ghana, and and because her parents play quite a significant role in her life, and, and they're in Ghana, not in London, um and, and then they have that distance, but they they have quite strong opinions of what FA should be doing in her <laughs> life. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, that relationship and, and uh, what Ghana means to FA.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, I guess to FA, Ghana is a safe space. Um, it's probably where she'd choose to be without um, any responsibilities um, if you didn't have anything tying her to London it's most likely where she would have probably chosen to be where she has space but there's also pressure in that community and at times it's stifling for her so I guess it's kind of similar to her parents it's like the two sides of that coin like um, yeah one can be really incredible and supportive and um, uplifting and just freeing and at the same time there's a way in which she has to live and operate which she doesn't necessarily have to do elsewhere so it's I guess it's yeah two yeah two sides of the same thing.
1: Mm. Is this the first novel that you've written or have you kind of attempted to write novels before?
2: I've been writing since I was a child um funny enough but this is the first thing I would happily say that I am proud of and did more than like a first draft on um I've started to adopt lots of things but I think um yeah, when I started Rootless, I'd left something else to work on Rootless. And I just I had to come to these characters because they were just starting to form. Um I was just getting really intrigued by them and I knew how it would end. So I was very much like, well, how are they going to get there? So um yeah.
1: What point did you realize that this book had some real potential? Or did it was it not that? Was it just that you felt like you had to finish whatever, whatever the consequences?
2: Um, oh funny. Um I guess for me. Working in publishing, I working in children's books, so working in publishing, an idea of the standard books were when they came to us. Um, so I guess for me, it was kind of shaping it into something that hopefully had potential because I adored this character, these characters. I stored this story and I was like, well, I hope someone else can get on board with them. Um, so I guess it was kind of, yeah, seeing what I was aiming for and trying to kind of give this story that space to grow and breathe and to become something that would hopefully potential.
1: Mm. I'd love to talk a little bit about the structure of the novel because we start with this opening where F.A's gone somewhere and Sam's desperately trying to track her down Um, and we know that we're leading to a pivotal moment which I will not spoil but then each chapter is take we take a look through F.A and Sam's life together and apart um, and their relationship kind of almost year by year and I was wondering kind of what led you to structuring the novel in that way?
2: Actually, funny enough, it did change a few times because the timeline was initially more complicated, um, but it had always begun um, or pretty much always begun with this kind of breaking point of someone fleeing, someone leaving and us being left leftist question. Because I guess for me, I knew um, that a big chunk of the novel would be about their relationship and their miscommunications them finding a way to be together. So I guess everything was kind of leading up to that. Um, and I knew how it ended. So I guess I really wanted to pose the question and kind of give readers coming into this kind of broken relationship where there's been something, factored, something's gone wrong and then show how they got here and then essentially show what it takes to bring them back together. Mm. Um, I guess those were kind of the things I was juggling, grappling with. Um, but yeah, I guess the structure is always building to how did we get to this point? And then what happens next, essentially?
1: Tell us a little bit more about each of your characters, then FA and Sam. How would you describe them?
2: Um, I would say Efe is creative. Um, she's probably fairly insular responsible and malleable. I think for her um her role as the oldest daughter with a more fiery younger sister means that um, yeah, she does take on more responsibility than other characters, I don't feel like she's the best at speaking up for herself or speaking her mind or speaking up at times. So um yeah I definitely feel like she can keep to herself and keep her troubles to herself. And um yeah and I think for her that can be quite um debilitating, I guess, because I think she hopefully every course of the book is learning to be braver. Um, and I guess for Sam he is very focused and driven. Um, to the extent where he kind of sweeps people up in his grand plans, which he's been planning since he was a child, basically. Um, but I guess essentially he's always known what he's working towards and he is that focused. And um, But I guess he's a dreamer. Like he does, he's optimistic. He hopes for the best. He hopes things will work out to a place where he can be a bit blinkered. So I guess those two things in tandem mean that, um, yeah, I guess i I pose some challenges for them.
1: <laughs> yeah you made them work hard for that love, but what do you think it was that made them fall in love with each other?
2: um I guess it's a few things. I guess it's the fact that they they do just keep choosing each other regardless of whatever or whomever's involved um they do just keep going back together, and I think some of that is shared culture um some of that is just growing up together um some of it is just yeah, them making that conscious choice to to come back to each other to kind of not ignore the pull um and just yeah deciding to
1: Mm. what I loved so much about their relationship is that it really feels authentic and I was wondering kind of what was the work you did to make their relationship feel real
2: oh um I'm not sure I guess it's (laughs) probably um a few things yeah I guess it's I guess getting to know them each fairly well as characters um hmm. and I guess you're working out what makes them tick and putting them in situations where I got to see what they had in common and see how they support each other at times and um yeah we're really trying to build something together I guess it was lots of those elements were where they were act interacting on the page I guess and seeing what it was like and also I guess what other people around them could see because I guess Particularly, both of them at points like they don't have an easy ride. They aren't always together, and they do need other people to kind of look into in look into their relationship at points and kind of remind them that they are good together or that they do, mm. um, they do work and they should kind of keep choosing each other.
1: I get the sense just from talking to you that you quite enjoy. Giving your characters like thing difficult things to work through. <laughs> I
2: absolutely do. Yeah. Do you, <laughs> yeah.
1: Is that the, the bit yeah. you enjoy most?
2: Um, no, no, not the most. Um
1: do you, like, do you prefer making them happy or do you prefer tearing them apart? That's what I'm gonna ask you.
2: <laughs> I think my instinct is probably tearing apart because i am just told to add more happy scenes. Um, definitely in editing. Yeah, I think there were at least two or three more chapters. So I was like, we should we should make them happy. You are right um but yeah I think my interesting was to give them challenges and to see how they cope with things but I guess a big part of their story is love is the shared connection is their relationships actually giving that space to thrive mm-hmm. and to show that um yeah that they they are they are loving life together at points and they are working to add at points and they just um yeah are kind of infinite healing for each other points so I guess mm-hmm. that's what something that's something I wanted to also add in at some point.
1: <laughs> One of the things that you touch on and I think is a really moving part of the novel and also really important is that you're touching on subjects that haven't necessarily been written about as frequently and I'm talking about things such as um, black women's mental health and also the this idea of um, having to sacrifice your career and yourself to have a child and I know obviously that you know that does crop up in fiction but maybe we've seen less stories where it's black women's stories that are being told. So what was why was that important for you to kind of talk about and write about those subjects?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Cause I think for me, particularly in the book, um many of the things she struggles with are things that I I get that I've struggled with or I care about. Um, and I guess in a way I was working through those things in fiction. Um, but also like I think I really deliberately wanted to break the stigma on things and be like this is a conversation that does happen to us, we are not excluded, we just aren't great at talking about some of these things and I feel like um, yeah there can be such a culture of like I guess pushing things under the carpet or um, over-spiritualizing things when actually there are very clear things that like that could help and I guess um, yeah I really wanted to to put that on the page and I guess give people reading it permission to be like yeah this is real or, or I'm not um I'm not being overly dramatic or um I guess just give themselves permission to be like this is life sometimes um and even little things like I guess deliberately giving FA a creative career was a conscious choice because particularly in in, in Ghanaian culture but a lot of African culture in, in general like there is just such a narrow remit over what success can look like and what um your career should look like. And the fact that family is so important means that family comes first. But I guess creating character like Effie who didn't want any of those things um, and struggled against it, actually, was something I really wanted to put down the page and show that she could still have an incredible thriving life um, despite... I guess, the kind of confines or expectations around her.
1: Mm, There are points where she's sort of almost um, in a pressure cooker because she's got Sam wanting certain things, she's got her family wanting certain things, and there she is trapped in the middle Mm. without uh, a voice almost of her own because she knows the decisions that she makes are going to upset people. And she's got their wants kind of almost overtaking hers. It's really difficult Mm -hmm. because you see why their opinions would be important to her and would take a lot of weight but at the same time you really feel for that because you know it's not you know it's not what she wants.
2: Yeah yeah definitely that's something I that's the environment I consciously created um just because I think that exists and I felt like mm. for her it kind of would push her to do something to make a change to um eventually decide what's going to be more important.
1: So I'd love to talk a little bit more, Crystal, about your writing routine. And just before we started recording, you told me that the next book you're writing, you had the ending in mind and you had the beginning in mind. And it sounds like it was similar for Rootless. So Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you write. But also I read in an interview that you've taken part in Then I Rhymo before. So yeah, tell us a little bit about kind of how you write. Are you someone that just loves just getting the words on the page as fast as possible? What's your kind of General routine.
2: Yeah. So funny enough, Rootless was an Ano novel. Oh wow. Yeah. Um, gosh, years ago and um very quickly. and um, but I have changed dramatically since then. So I tend to write in the mornings. As soon as I'm up, like I will grab a cup of tea and climb back into bed and write there because that's my now luxury. Um but yeah, I think um I am starting I am starting a new book I'm starting and starting stopping, so I'm struggling to get to new characters, but I'm learning now trying to write it all over again that there is something to writing quickly and just giving myself permission to um, write a terrible first draft and just see um, what gets down on the page because, um, yeah, I feel like the self-censoring, the self-checking um, can just hinder you at points, I guess. I'm going to do it slightly differently. Um, I'm going to give myself a much clearer outline so I know where I'm going. I don't have to throw away as many words. But I think there is something to starting early in the mornings and starting quickly and just, um yeah, I guess, giving yourself permission to stay in the story world as well. Mm. So are you
1: someone then? Because I know, well, I've done an anorama twice mm-hmm. and I know a lot of people who do it, I like, swear by having a, a really detailed plan so that when they get up every day and they write their 1,667 words, that they stick to the plan. So are you a planner or are you more kind of you see how you feel and and write to the ending that you've already got in your head?
2: Yeah, so I am a planner to some extent, but I am also very open to story changing. So I guess for me, um, yeah, like I said, I've well, I say every book. The book I've written and the book I'm planning to write next, um, or I'm starting to write next, is, um, yeah, I guess for me, I tend to know the beginning and the end. And sometimes a few random points in between, but normally those bits are clear for me so um, for the book I'm starting I'm a rootless I knew the beginning and I knew the end so I guess it's just giving it shape and working out what happens in between and yes I do plan things normally in quite a bit of detail but I'm more than happy to change the plan along the way or kind of if if I meet the characters and they're doing things unexpected to follow where the story mm. goes.
1: Yeah because I saw a bit of advice you gave that was um, you suggested that writers need to be open to their manuscript changing so that you don't miss out on kind of uncovering the the what the story could actually be underneath so mm-hmm. how did you experience that with rootless and um i guess i mean it must have changed a bit with your editor and stuff so how how was that experience for you
2: yeah yeah it did change quite a bit so i think from my nano my major draft to the next one i think i cut about sixty thousand words in the end i think i'd written to 50 and then to 80 and then cut to 60 and it was constantly changing That's painful. <laughs> it was
1: painful
2: yeah this is why I'm more plan, a plan of an out um, a fan of an outline now because you just lose a lot otherwise um well I personally did so um yes yeah, so I guess to me So what we absolutely changed is the original first first draft or maybe like first and second draft was like a lot more focused on fa. And Sam was essentially a framing device. We barely knew him. We barely knew his side of the story. And I think when my agent came on board, she was very curious about him. And there were lots of little things that I knew, but I had to go on a journey of actually discovering him a lot more. So it became less about one person struggling in a marriage and more of their relationship um, taking the fall because that was always present, um, of course, but it wasn't, um, it didn't look as it looks now so Mm. yes definitely changed shape a few times um lots of things to kind of cut to make space for sam um and i guess it was just learning the other side of the story
1: Mm. how do you feel about the editing process and so when you lost all those words was it was it difficult for you or do you quite enjoy the kind of rebuilding and and polishing what you've already got
2: um i think i really like selecting things i like because i think Sometimes I'd have a whole chapter, and I'd like one word I wanted to keep or something. <laughs> like it would it would be quite ridiculous at points. I think I like that from the set from the I guess point of view of being like I now have this one shiny line or shiny word that I get to write around. um it feels kind of freeing in that sense. Mm. Um, but it's definitely sad when you watch your word can't go down when it needs to be
1: <laughs> what what kind of um what's your kind of daily word count. Are you someone that just sets like a an amount of time to write? Or do you think right I'm not I'm not allowed to go and get a coffee until I've written a thousand words? What's your kind of what's your day-to-day writing like?
2: Yeah, I tend to write early when I'm when I'm being good. Um and then I will write until I run out of steam. Um and if I sit down and I'm really struggling, I will normally pick up a book that I adore until I latch on to like a word or sentence that I love and kind of kicks off something in my brain it means I can start writing again and normally at that point I'm writing by hand or jotting things down and then I'll come back to my laptop when I feel a bit steadier or feel like I have more to say but I guess it's a few different approaches I try to just just keep going sometimes that's um like a thousand words sometimes that's a lot more Mm. if um, if I just happen to like have energy into the afternoon and later and don't lose focus but um yeah I try to just start and keep going
1: I love that idea of picking up books that you love because I do exactly the same there's something in other people's words and language that just sets my brain like firing Mm. and then I start to almost hear this other voice in my head which is me typing away at my laptop so it's I funny how that. other people's words really help with that writer's block I think.
2: Mm, I really think so I think particularly for me books that made me want to write like books I think are stunning or adore or recommend to people like they tend to be the ones I gravitate to when I am stuck in my story.
1: Mm-hmm. So you were one of the 40 writers selected for London Library's Emerging Writers Programme can you tell us about that experience, how you applied and and what came of it?
2: Yeah, it's funny, actually, because I genuinely don't remember applying. <laughs> um, so basically, I had like a really, this was in 2020, I had like a really weird few months and impulsively decided to quit my job and um, write a book. And at some point, I'm pretty sure it was on the day I had in my notice, I saw... um. I saw like little um, advert about it and I'd never heard of it before and basically applied and forgot about it Um, but it literally came at the right time because by that point we were in lockdown I was muddling through and trying to write this book that I had started and stopped over a number of years Um, but it kept grabbing me and I wanted to do it justice Um, so yeah it just came at the perfect time for me where I could kind of um, joined the programme, Um, I think, a few months after leaving my job. Um, and it meant that I had the structure and the accountability. Um, and it just meant that, um, yeah, I just had more support as I was writing. I think I really appreciated that because there uh, lots of workshops and um, we had like a little peer group where we'd send work to each other, um, just lots of interaction, um, even though it was over Zoom in, the, in that weird time. Um, but yeah it was just it was just really brilliant
1: Mm, yeah kind of supportive workshops and and kind of network groups like that are are so important if you're particularly when you're starting out to kind of get that reassurance and validation that what you're doing is good and it's nice to kind of have that feedback as well
0: um Mm -hmm. I was
1: wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how you came to get your agent and then um kind of how quickly your book deal came about
2: Yeah, it's funny because I feel incredibly lucky to have my agent. She's just phenomenal. She's just, yeah, everything I could have dreamed of. And um, I remember finishing the draft because I'd basically run out of steam of it. And I was in a place where I was like, I'm either going to throw it away or I'm going to try and submit to agents. I was very much fed up and I was like, I don't want to see these people anymore. (laughs) Um, And then I basically made myself actually finish the last bits of edits I was doing on my own. Um, and then sent it out to a few agents, um, I think on a Friday or something. And my agent, Juliette, um, emailed back half an hour later or something ridiculous um, and had requested the rest of it. And I was like, oh, maybe someone likes it. And it, and it's her. It's just I was very much prepared for being like, OK, the first few agents are going to say no. And then I'll kind of refine it and try again with the next three on my list. Um, and she was just incredibly speedy. Um, we kind of chatted over Zoom um, and um, and she offered to represent me and it was just, it was really phenomenal actually. And I guess my book deal was slightly different because I, um, I signed up with Juliet in, I think, September and then went back to work in November um, and basically did nothing on the book until Juliet chased me in January. And I was like, oh yeah. Um, so at that point we worked together for a few months. And then again, I was really lucky with my book deal because basically um again I get to, I got to the place where I had kind of rushed through last edits and I wasn't totally happy, but we had an idea of when we wanted to send it out. And Julia had been talking to people about it and pitching it for a few months by that point, I believe. So it went out in September. Um and again, it was just really um quick to have the first initial interest, and then we had to chase a few people, but I think by um, two weeks later it sold in the UK and then maybe another two weeks later it sold in the US. So um, mm. just, yeah, really, really exciting to be like, oh, people, people have got it and and they loved it as much as I did, which was just, yeah, phenomenal.
1: Yeah, it's always nice when it kind of happens quite smoothly like that and it sounds like you've got a really good agent there with Juliet mm. and, uh, um, yeah, congratulations on um doing so well I was wondering whether there was anything in your kind of publishing journey from kind of when you signed the contract till now that's been difficult or challenging or has been kind of come as a surprise to you and and Mm -hmm. anything that you think that maybe um you've learned to deal with in a particular way or kind of you think would be good advice for anyone that might be getting published next year how has it been for you?
2: um i would say funnily enough because i am an editor i actually struggled with edits i think it was just the getting place where a lot of life stuff was going on and i was moving and um and work was kind of chaotic at that point in time um and just kind of lots of kind of juggle and manage so um yeah i remember finding that pretty challenging and just finding the headspace to re-engage I felt like every time I sent it off, I was like, "Okay, cool, bye." <laughs> and then back, and I was like, "Oh man, more to do." Um, and I guess to some extent, it was learning, about your characters in like new settings and environments, and changing things that had, for the most part, always been one way. I think that took some more letting go than I was expecting. Um, and I guess something I would say to new writers would actually probably be the post-publication part, um, just because I know quite a few people who kind of struggled with going from hours and hours being on your own, writing a novel, because that's what you enjoy doing, to suddenly having to speak in front of people and do um, events and publicise your book. Like, I am terrible at telling people about it. Most of my friends and family do it on my behalf now because I just will never mention it to anyone. Um, But it is really challenging. And I feel like you can kind of expect, um, or you're almost expected to kind of become this, um, incredibly charming talkative person when you're when you've done this because you spend all of your time alone um and I do feel like writers um aren't necessarily prepared for that challenge um and I feel like you can give yourself permission to to get there and give yourself permission to not be brilliant at it and it's not for everyone I know plenty of people who haven't um or aren't always doing big events and stuff like that and they're just um yeah just absolutely fine
1: mm do you think your role as an editor gave you kind of a level of I don't know preparation or um, allowed you to understand what the kind of realities would be or do you think that it was very different from from what you do in your job?
2: Um, Yes actually yeah I feel like there were there was a lot more than I know than The Average Writer of course because I'm around it um, every day Um, but I guess that's good and bad it meant that little things like knowing that I absolutely could move my deadline because it's entirely flexible was not helpful in terms of having to like get stuff done <laughs> um and other little things like yeah I guess um yeah knowing the conversations that happen around a book and when certain things are due or when sales numbers come in meant that I guess I was probably too aware of things and was always measuring up to um what I was hopefully expecting of myself and of it less um yeah, so I think in a way it's really good because I knew, like, yeah, I knew um, what certain things meant and I knew how to paired and um, just had more insight. But I guess it could also be negative in terms of it meant that I was wobbling more than most people would because they just wouldn't know that's a thing to do.
1: <laughs> so finally, I know we've talked a little bit about it already, but can you give us a hint about what you're working on next?
2: <laughs> I'm working on a second novel. Um, at the moment it's set between um, Ghana and America Um, and it's basically about two sisters and lots of family secrets that will be unearthed in time.
1: Brilliant well I know you know the ending already and I'm not going to weasel that out (laughs) of you because um, we want to keep that secret but I'm really excited to find out what the next one's going to be about but in the meantime thank you so much Crystal for joining me on the podcast today.
2: Thank you for having me it's been amazing. That was Crystal
1: Zara Appiah talking about her contemporary novel, Rootless, which is out now and available to buy. And if you'd like to support this podcast, debut authors and independent bookshops, you can now shop in the Confessions of a Debut Novelist bookshop, hosted by bookshop.org, which I've linked down below in the show notes. If you fancy buying any of the books you've heard on this podcast then the majority of them can be found in this bookshop and if you can I would really appreciate you supporting me, supporting the authors and independent bookshops by buying them through this online store. Thank you so much for listening and if you've enjoyed this episode please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or if you've subscribed already it would be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time!